I'm just wrestling in my heart with two things. We're in the middle of a, um, well, we've just started a, a series uh, where we're going to go pull out of the book of Romans and we're just preaching the gospel that, that, that Paul preached, that Jesus brought about the new covenant. And, um, but tonight, I, I'm actually just feeling, seeing as it's Saturday night and not Sunday, I think I, it's okay for me to just deviate a little bit. We'll come back. Sundays is where the series are, right? Um, tonight, I want to speak about a new covenant vision for revival and transformation. Um, I'm just feeling in my heart that I believe the Lord wants to give us a new covenant vision for revival and transformation. And I, I want to ask you some questions tonight before we jump in to the Word. Um, but let's just welcome the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you tonight and we thank you for what you're doing in this room. Holy Spirit, I just I yield to you right now, and we yield to you as a house. And we, we just say, Lord, we're, we're listening, and we want to be touched, changed, and transformed by your word. Would you come tonight and minister truth to our hearts, and would you give us a vision, heaven's perspective and heaven's vision for revival and transformation on the earth, Lord? Holy Spirit, I honor you. I just thank you that you're in this room. And Lord, I, I have nothing to pour out tonight or to give other than what you pour out through me. And so Holy Spirit, I, I yield my tongue and my mind to you. I ask for your anointing on my heart to receive and on our hearts to receive tonight. And we just say thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for first love in our hearts, that you're our first love, God. We don't just want to know about you. We, we want to know you. That tonight, everything we do, Lord, I ask that it would provoke worship, that it would provoke encounter, that it would provoke knowing you. So we love you, and we bless you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Acts chapter 19 amazing. Uh, one of my friends ministered here a couple weeks ago, Pastor Jan, and he said when he thinks of 24-7, he thinks of Acts 19. And that, that really blessed me because I love that chapter. And basically, Acts 19 is the revival in Ephesus, where God breaks into Ephesus, and uh, it's incredible what happens. I mean, people are getting, there's supernatural signs and wonders, and people are getting healed and delivered and set free, and, uh, you know, people are trying to copy Paul the way he casts out demons because it's just incredible what's on his life, and they try to do the method, but they don't know Jesus, and the demons give them a beating. Uh, you should go read it. It's really wild, <laughs> and, uh, and beats them so bad that they run off naked, wounded and naked, uh, and the demons actually said to the, these guys who try to copy Paul, they were like, hey, uh, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Um, and there's this real revelation of what Paul was carrying. He was carrying Jesus. He knew Jesus. He didn't just have a message. He knew the man. And he was walking in, in presence and power. And, uh, and then we see like a whole industry of idolatry comes crashing down because of the gospel. Uh, witchcraft and, and, and sorcery and all this stuff. They literally create this big fire and burn all their dark magic stuff. And I mean, you're just seeing it's wild 
revival. It's like, if, you know, it's not just holy meetings. It's like a city is being flipped upside down, so much so that they fill the stadium and tens of thousands are chanting. They're freaking out. They're fighting for their idol. Uh, and Paul's like, put me in the middle of that. And his disciples and, and those that are around him have to actually hold Paul back and say, you're crazy. They'll kill you. Um, this, this is the gospel we're talking about. Acts 19 is this aggressive picture of, of who the church is when we're just letting Jesus live who he is through us as, as his people. Uh, but there's this really interesting verse that, that blows my mind. It says, the word of the Lord prevailed mightily in the region. The word of the Lord prevailed mightily. And then it says this, within two years, the whole of Asia Minor, which is the modern day west coast of Turkey, the whole of that west coast of Turkey heard the gospel in two years. Can you see the potential of the church when we're given to the purity of the gospel? I, I read that, that chapter and it convicts me and provokes me every single time because I go, do I have a vision for revival and transformation that's like within two years all of South Africa could know Jesus? That, that when we go into the 1040 window, that we actually have a vision that if we could just serve God's dream and see the local church be what Jesus intended the church to be, we could see whole provinces come to know Jesus very quickly. See, people here, 3.2 billion people don't know, the, don't know Jesus, haven't heard his name. Like, wow, we're a long way off. I say no ways. We're the, for the millennials were the first generation in history that statistically know where all the unreached people groups are. They know how to get there and how much it's going to cost. And we have the transportation to get to every single one of these villages. I think if we were just to mobilize the church, we're probably one generation away from fulfilling the Great Commission. If we would say yes to the dream of God. And the reason why this message is so um, convicting and challenging and why the enemy comes against it so hard is because in order to say yes to the dream of God, you have to lay your own dream down. And what we've believed, we, we've believed the gospel that's all about uh, what God's going to do for my life and how God's going to bless my life and I have my dream and my agenda and I, I'm going to come to church and attend church and believe in what God's doing so that God can bless my life. What if the definition of blessing is to be in heaven's agenda? What if, what if blessing is actually to walk out God's dream, God's design, and God's desire? What if what we call blessing is like the byproducts of God giving us the tools that we need to do what we're called to do, but then we begin to chase that rather than going after his dream and saying, that's what it means to be successful, to be in you, to be in Christ. Can I ask you this question? Does the gospel you believe change who you are? Because I, I'm wrestling with this in my own heart. If we, if we believe a gospel that's not changing us from the inside out, it's just another human opinion. We, we can actually be Bible-quoting people with a lot of Bible knowledge, a lot of knowledge about Jesus. We can quote the Bible, read the Bible, state the Bible, and yet never be changed by it and have a whole theological opinion about who Jesus is and never know Him. Does the gospel that you believe change who you are? If we can deal with this thing we've been preaching into grace and, and, and how God didn't ask the church to deal with sin, um, if it's your first time, you need to go back and listen to the last couple of weeks because I might poke some buttons. But the reality is God, God didn't call the church to deal with sin. He dealt with sin on the cross once and for all. 
and then He filled us with His Holy Spirit. And so eternal life is not just about your ticket to heaven. It's not just about, I'm so grateful that now that I've said the prayer, got the card, keep it in my wallet, uh, I, I'm now, I've got my ticket to heaven, everything's going to be okay. Actually, eternal life is to know God, and majority of what we read about uh, the gospel in the New Testament is actually about being alive to God. And, and that's now. So you get to access the, the reality of eternal life in God, which is knowing God, you get to access that and live in that now. And it's only that, which you can receive um, by grace through faith, it's only that that's going to change your life. Transformation will never come from your best attempt. And so I think I hit it pretty hard. Uh, it was last week or the week before where I just said, you know, there's this, this worldly perspective, which is like, you can be anything you want to be. Nope, no, you can't. Uh, if, it's all about the grind. If you work hard, you set your mind to something, you can be anything. No, you can't. You'll never meet the standards of the law. It wasn't there for you to meet. It was there to show you that you need a savior. You'll never, the dream that you have for your own life will never satisfy your heart. Never. You'll get there and you'll be unsatisfied and have to look for something else. And so the dream keeps evolving. You're not made for you. You're not wired for you. You're not designed for your own life. You are made to live for him. And I'm sorry if that offends you. I'm sorry if it's a struggle, but let it be a struggle till it dies. And then when you feel it's dead, then you know, wow, okay, now, now I know what it's like to breathe. Now I know what it's like to live for something that's bigger than me and my life actually feels like it has true purpose and value. If you're living for a salary, if you're living for money, if you're living for status, if you're living for importance, if you're living for significance, even within the church, even within ministry, you're missing the beauty and the depth of what it means to be His. Amen. Anyway. I want to ask these questions and just say this. What is our vision for revival? Like the word that we use when we say revival, majority of the time what we're thinking of is wild meetings. And that's a big part of it, don't get me wrong, because we gather as a church and when we gather, we should expect a supernatural God in a supernatural people, which means supernatural environments. Don't let religion and your weird theological opinion matter more than an experience with God. Because your theological opinion isn't what's going to save you. But your experience, believing in Him and experiencing who Christ is in you, through you, and for you, and for others, that's what changes and, and transforms our lives. And so what do we think about when we're talking about revival? Is it meetings that make me feel closer to God? And I want you to think about this. Is revival being in meetings that make me feel closer to God, or is it fiery hearts and lives bringing God closer to a dying world? And if we, could, if we could get this shift, something very significant will happen to the church. If we are looking for gatherings that make me feel closer to God, rather than realizing that grace has put me in Christ, I, don't, I can't get any closer. I can only believe more. And if I, if I understand this, then revival becomes burning hearts filled with the love of God, bringing God closer to a dying world. And so revival becomes something that's coming from the church, not something that the church is waiting for to come to us. I, I, I really do. I've said this many times, but I believe this with all my heart. I think sometimes we're crying out for God to move, and God did move 2,000 years ago on the cross. And he's saying, I did move, and now what I want to do is move in you and through you, but what it's going to require is for you to come and die. 
and, and, and the best news you'll ever hear in your life is come and die. Because if you come and die, guess what happens? You also get to live in Him. Because the gospel isn't just you were crucified with Christ. That's not the fullness of the gospel. The gospel is you were crucified with Christ and you were raised to new life with Christ. You were raised in Him into newness of life, Romans 6 says. We were baptized with Him in His death, but also in His resurrection, so that daily we could walk in newness of life. So every day I'm walking in the newness of mercy, the newness of life, the newness of the gospel, Christ in me, the hope of glory, just as if I've never sinned. What confidence would you live your life in every day if you woke up and woke up like you've never sinned ever before? You woke up and just went, mercy is new. Christ is in me. Christ is upon me. Now Christ is going to live through me. And I have expectations of my day that I'm going to shine. And so revival now becomes I'm a burning lover of Jesus because he made me one. Not because I figured out how to get there. Not because I fulfilled the law. Not because I dealt with my hidden sin. Not because I made sure I confessed everything I've ever done wrong. You're never going to be able to do it. How are you going to measure that standard? How do you decide what's good and right and wrong? You were never meant to eat of that tree. You were meant to eat of the tree of life, Christ. So now when you let grace do the work in you, you become what he's paid for. Full stop. It's not about whether you feel it or not. It's about believing it, and as you believe it, Christ makes it real in you and through you. It's the Spirit of Jesus that makes you like Him. So rather wake up and, and go, mercy's new. I'm alive in Christ just as if I've never sinned. The Spirit of Jesus is inside of me, and I have an expectation today that the supernatural Spirit of God is going to work in me and through me. It, that's really good news, just letting you know. It's weird how the human nature is like, nah, I think I, think I kind of preferred waking up and like plucking my eyebrow hair out because I'm just such a sinner. Like legalism is this weird taskmaster that, that w we become a slave to if we, if we miss the beauty of, of the gospel. It's almost like, no, rather just, just tell me I'm, I'm a mess up. Just tell me I'm, I'm not worth it. And, and God's going, but I, I, I gave my son. You know, there's something that, that I think it's Dan Molo who says this is really profound. He says, you know, Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. That's what the Bible says. You, he was beaten so brutally that when you looked at Jesus, you, you couldn't tell it was Jesus. And, and I'll tell you why. This is so beautiful. Is that when Adam sinned, he lost the image. You couldn't recognize Adam for what he was before because he carried the image of God. So Jesus was beaten beyond description, took on the image of sin so that we could take on the image of Christ. There's this divine exchange that we are restored back to the original design and purpose of what God has for us. It's to be like him. And the beautiful thing is nowhere in there did you have to do anything except believe. Like faith justifies you and takes you into right standing with God so that you can live in what he's called you to. So that changes our perspective of revival. I want to ask you a question. So what's your vision for transformation? Is it a prosperous earthly reality and a better life? 
because it's so interesting. We do this thing on Instagram where we do like transformation things, mostly to do with health and fitness, but it, it's in all sorts of stuff. You know, I, I started my business and this is what I had and then suddenly I made millions and this is what, look at the transformation and it's beautiful. Or, you know, hey, I was overweight and then I started training and now look, I'm actually really fit. Or we have these transformation things and I want to say, do you measure transformation by pro a prosperous earthly reality or a better life? Because you can actually have things going better for you, yet things in you are not going better. <laughs> you can, your, your situation and circumstance can, can be getting better, but you are actually not getting better. So is it that, or is it a heart baptized in Holy Spirit, life, fire, and oil? Is transformation that I'm, every day as I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus, I'm looking at my life and I'm recognizing no other but Christ. Not based on my works, based on believing the finished work of Jesus. That I'm growing more and more in the revelation of who Christ is in me, that I'm recognizing no other but Christ in me. I think it's a life changed by the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus. It's a life laid down, fully given, yielded to Him, right? So I want to point some things out. What is regional and glo uh, global transformation according to the Bible? Um, because there's some offensive things I'm going to say right now about Jesus, and then, and then I'm going to dive into one thing and we're done. I look at Jesus' life, and here's the one thing, the first thing, rather, that jumps out at me. He didn't remove Roman oppression. He was born into a time with some of the most severe oppression against his people in the history of the nation. They'd been through a lot. But the Roman oppression of the Jews was really, really heavy. And he didn't remove it. Jesus didn't solve the Roman problem. Jesus didn't give a kingdom back to Israel. He didn't do that. He also didn't eradicate poverty. He also didn't put a stop to all injustice. And he didn't create an isolated community for Christians to live safely tucked away from the world. <laughs> he didn't solve human rights crises or take away the brokenness of the world that we see every day. When Jesus left and ascended back to the Father, those things were still happening on the earth. So if we look at what is regional transformation, what is global transformation, if we were to just measure it by a lot of the things we think about today, Jesus was a failure. But what do we see that Jesus did do? Well, number one, he became love. He stopped for the one in front of him that the Holy Spirit led him to minister to. Remember that Jesus did everything he did on the earth, not just as God, but as a man. Because he became the prototype of what we were called to walk in and, and live out. So Jesus becomes love. He stops for the one in front of him, every one that the Holy Spirit leads him to minister to, because he also walked past many, which is hard for our hearts and our minds to grasp. He made disciples. Like, just picture this. Jesus, firstly, I don't even have time to get into this, but the way he came, came to the earth is just insane. It's like the savior of the world in a barn. That's wild. But then 
He lives 30 years not doing anything, just loving Jesus, loving the Father, getting to know the Father, cultivating relationship. And then he comes and gets baptized, and the Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness. He spends 40 days, I believe, picking a fight with the devil and demonstrating sonship. 40 days fasting. And he comes out of the wilderness in power, and then he begins to demonstrate the kingdom of heaven. And it's this lowly, grassroots, one by one, ministering the fullness of the love of God to people. And even when he had the thousands, he would make statements and then he would disappear. He wasn't after the accolades of man. He wasn't after what we think a kingdom looks like. He was after a kingdom of hearts. And so he makes disciples. He lived in community and gathered followers. So Jesus blows, he blows my mind with this. It's like he, he gathers people and says, hey, follow me. And he builds his community and he lives his life expressed in community. And this community, as they're walking with Jesus, they're learning how to become gatherers. Because here's the beautiful thing. Jesus didn't ask his disciples to transform hearts. He just asked them to gather them. And as these disciples are watching Jesus gather people, they're being trained in this brilliant mission school that Jesus was running. And they're learning how to gather hearts that are hungry for Jesus. And as they're gathering the hearts, Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. And we see that from Acts chapter 2 onwards. He lived light and minimalistic. That kind of destroys the whole picture of like, well, if we want to actually have regional or global transformation, we need to all become billionaires and just take over the world, just rule from the top, just take dominion and just, if we own everything, what can they do? <laughs> we laugh, but a lot of Christians think that way. We, we've lost a servant-hearted approach to actually bringing the kingdom of heaven and we want to get to the top. When I get to the top, then I'm actually financially able to be a blessing. And it's an arrogant posture, and it's not to say, I mean, God uses incredible multimillionaires and billionaires. It's just that I think if you really know Jesus, you won't stay that rich for long. He demonstrated the power of God in signs and wonders. He healed the sick. He forgave sinners. He loved the broken. He spent time with them. He fed people, and he trained his disciples to do more than he did. And so you see this. It's beautiful because the same Jesus walks into Jerusalem. He's on the donkey, and, uh, and they're all crying out, Hosanna in the highest. He's, he's king. They're like, man, amazing. They're throwing plants at him. I don't know why they're planting, but plants. And like, it's wow, this is amazing. And they're laying them down on the floor. Jesus comes in, and then like a couple days later, they're the same people going, crucify him. The same thousands are gathered, and, and they're going, crucify him, actually. Like, he's, no, he's not the king we, we thought. He's not the one who's going to actually... He's been here a couple of days. He's done nothing about the Roman oppression in this city. Actually, I can't really relate to him because he's just peculiar and beautiful and wonderful, and it's just so offensive. He's just so good that actually give us Barabbas. We can relate to him. Murderer, insurrection. He's just... Give, he makes sense. And so if you look at these things, you go, okay, Jesus, how, how, what were you doing? Because he was, he was definitely causing a stirring, but how was he bringing regional and global transformation? And this is what I want to say to you. We'll unpack this in a second. He's doing it by filling hearts. Because the kingdom that he's building is a kingdom of hearts. And he knows the power of one life yielded to him. 
And so he goes off to these hearts and he's loving people and, and he's the one who touches lepers. You know, the disciples are probably wrestling with these questions like the Romans are following us around. When are we going to get armed? When do we get swords and when do we get to swing them around? And Jesus is like so not concerned with their demands on him, the pressures on him to meet their expectations. And he's looking for the broken. He's looking for the lost. He's looking for the lowly. He's looking for those that know they need him. And as he begins to do this, he's the one who's touching lepers when, when society says, you don't do that. Jesus does it. And he's healing the sick and, and you're seeing these people. It's like you couldn't, you couldn't box Jesus. You couldn't figure him out. It wasn't like, oh, Jesus is a Christian or Jesus, you know, his movement is this. This is what they do. He was like, when you expected him to mobilize the 5,000 that he's now been preaching to, it's like, man, he's gathering an army. This is going to be incredible. No, he disappears. And you go like, that makes no sense. I thought that was going to be the, the spark that lights a nation to fight back against Rome. No, actually, I just want to go find the one. He's, he's, the, he's our king who's walking through the crowds and somebody touches him and they get healed and he feels it. What is Jesus aware of in the midst of the chaos of life? What is Jesus conscious of when the demands of life are screaming at him? Everybody is, Jesus, Jesus, touch me, do this, heal me, help me, do this. And somebody touches him with faith and he feels it because he's sensitive to what matters to the, the heart of the Father. And so he turns and the woman with the issue of blood gets healed. And there's so many stories around this. Can I, dare I say this? We need a vision for the lost, the least, and the last. Um, I'm going to be a little bit cheeky and just say this. We've actually had people leave our community because they'll say, hey, like the whole Antioch thing, that church, the nation's church thing, like that's just not for us. And I, I want to say this unapologetically tonight. We are not the nation's church. <laughs> we're not. We're not the church that's like, well, we want to do this nation's model, and we're basically like a missions organization and a local church and a this and that. No, we're not. What we're saying is we want the heart of God, and He cares about the, the least and the broken and the forgotten and those on the other side of the world that, that nobody's thinking about, praying about, or even considering who have never heard the name of Jesus through another human being's lips. Majority of them are living in poverty or under oppression and in difficult environments, but we want to, as the church, think it's okay, someone else will do it. And that's not me putting a pressure on us. That's just saying there are things happening on the earth today that really matter to the heart of God, and I don't know how it's possible to fall in love with Jesus and not care about those things. Does that make sense? And I just want to say this. I dare you. I double dare you, triple dare you. Just go one time. Go one time and come back and tell me it's not for you. The only people who've ever told me it's not for them are the ones who've never gone. Because when you've seen the faces, when you've walked through the streets of the nation we just mentioned, and you see the hundreds of thousands of faces who most likely do not know him and don't, they, they don't have a grid reference for the gospel, they've never encountered him, and you see their faces and you go, God is as in love with these people as he is with me. And he's not asking me to be the answer. He's asking me to be the hands and feet of him, his heart, for these people. Because let me tell you, he's already doing it. He's going to fulfill the Great Commission. Dreams and visions are happening. Hundreds of thousands of Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists are experiencing Jesus already. Jesus is preaching the gospel to his people. 
But he's looking for those who will have a heart to be the hands and feet of God and say, hey, welcome home to family. Do we have a vision for the lonely, to find a family, to belong? Do we have a vision for families to be transformed by the gospel? Do we have a vision for cities to be turned upside down with the demonstration and proclamation of the gospel? Do we have a vision for this? What if where God placed you right now, when you look at your work environment, you say, this is my part of the wall that we're building together. This is my part of that greater vision. I get to reach these people as the church in the city begins to take ground for the kingdom to see the kingdom of heaven in our city. God's entrusted me with a sphere of influence with people that I get to shine and love and share the gospel. And I get to gather so that he can transform hearts. Does this make sense? I'm going to use him as an example because Paul didn't walk with Jesus. Paul wasn't one of the twelve. Paul had an encounter just like you and me. You know, people go like, yeah, well, Peter, Peter was wild. And he did, because he actually walked with them and touched them. And, and John, you know, makes sense. He actually put his head on Jesus' chest. Like, that makes sense that he'd be that wild. Well, look at Paul. <laughs> Paul's off to, to kill Christians, to murder Christians, to arrest Christians. And God meets him. And he has an encounter that changes his life forever. And then look at how Paul lived his life. Paul had a dream, Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul was making his way through this journey in his career, and he had goals, and he had things he wanted to do, and he was, he was on the way to get those things done, and he wanted to prove himself as a Pharisee. And then God interrupts his life. And guess what? Paul didn't go back to being a Pharisee. His whole life changed. And I, I, I'm, I'm concerned sometimes if, if, are we preaching a gospel that's so pure and so potent that it changes everything about your life? Not just how you feel about yourself, but what you actually do with your life. And when people hear me preach this, they go, what are you saying, Connor? You just want everyone to quit their jobs and go to the Middle East. Maybe. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that because here's the thing. I know, the Holy Spirit is so faithful to speak to the people that He's called to do that. He's the one who sends. We pray to the Lord of the harvest and He sends them out, right? But what I'm saying is, whatever you're doing with your life, if you're doing it for you, it'll never satisfy you. But if you're doing it in Him, through Him, and for Him, suddenly everything that you're doing, the reason for it changes, the reason that you wake up, the reason you walk into work, it's different. It's no longer for a paycheck. The paycheck just enables me to keep doing what God's called me to do. I'm not going to let my decisions in life be governed by situation, circumstance, and what I think my needs are. I'm not driven by those things. I'm led by the Holy Spirit. I'm living by faith. So I'm making decisions that are in agreement and alignment with the heart of God, with His dream, with His story. My prayer life changes. I'm going, God, you're writing a story right now in my city. You're writing a story in my nation, in the nations of the earth. What's the story of heaven? Let me tell you, it's the story of redemption. I want to see the fruit of that in my life. I want to see the fruit of that in, in how I, I love other people. Does this make sense? Yeah, so good. In four minutes, the power's going to cut, right? But then it'll come back up with the generator. Okay. If it cuts, don't freak out. Just give it like two minutes and then it'll come back up, okay?
my heart is, is burning with this reality that the gospel, like what we're preaching, the grace of God, it does something to us. <laughs> it's, it's the grace of God that actually does something to us. It's, it's not the law and our own attempt to keep it. It's, we're studying this together. We're going to dive into it more and more. What if, if we can just preach, live, and believe the full, pure message of the gospel of grace? That's what Paul called it. If we could live this out, what if on the other side of believing the fullness of that, if we just accepted it and said, yep, it's offensive, it sounds too good to be true, but it's so good because it is true, and if I actually believe it and live it, on the other side of that is the power of the gospel demonstrated through our lives. And that's not for the pastor or leader of a church and you attend a church where your pastor is doing something really cool. It's so nice to be a part of a church that does these things. No, you are the church. You are the program. <laughs> does your church have these programs? Yes, it's you. You're the program. You're, you're, you're the expression. You're the arms and legs. Like what we're doing tonight, we're coming together. We're saying God has a vision for our city. And let me, can I just, oh, I'm going to say it. God's vision for our city is not Joburg doing well again. Ah, just, it's not like, wow, yeah, just, you know what? God's vision for Joburg is finally we get a new government running the city and they just clean up the cities and it just looks better and finally we feel like we're in Cape Town. We don't have the view, but at least we have the infrastructure. <laughs> That's not God's vision for Joburg. God's vision for Joburg, God's vision for our nation, God's vision for the nations of the earth is this. The earth is going to get darker, but in the midst of it, there's a bride that will arise and shine because the glory, the radiance, the brilliance of the sun is upon them. And though there's darkness across the earth, the light of the gospel is now beginning to prevail. The word of the Lord is prevailing over the earth. The glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth. How is it going to cover the earth? Think about this. How is the glory of the Lord going to cover the earth? It's not just going to be that, well, you know, uh, we're waiting for that external revival to come down, and then there'll be like in Wales where all the way up till the border, you know, people were just getting saved. And then if you cross the border, God wasn't there anymore. No, listen. How's the glory of the Lord going to cover the earth? Hearts. He's going to fill hearts, and the whole earth is going to sing. The power better not cut because I'm going to say something good now. <clears throat> Listen, listen to this. I, I heard a, my friend sent me this video um, of a, a guy sharing it, and he says, um, here's all the notes on a piano. Like, there's, there's a scale, there's all the notes on the piano. If I take away 40% of those notes, you can't finish most of those songs. You can't sing them. You're missing notes. So in Revelation 7, we, we see the song that's around the throne where every tribe and tongue and language is singing this song. But 40% of the population on the earth don't know the song, don't know the chords. 40% of the notes aren't there, so the song can't be sung. So how is the glory of the Lord going to cover the earth? Every tribe and tongue and nation will hear of the wonders of God and begin to sing the song of Revelation 7, and then the glory until the whole earth sings. What's preaching for? It's to provoke worship. What I'm saying tonight is not going to transform your life. It's an invitation. You have to take the invitation, say yes, go into the place of worship, minister to the Lord, and watch what God does with your life. And then when your life begins to sing, when your life begins to sing the song of Revelation 7, you begin to overflow. Now you're filled with the song. 
And when you're filled with the song, you can't help. It just spills out. It's in everything that you do. You walk into work and it's just a depressive environment and everyone's upset, but you're buzzing. And they, they cut your salary and you're like, cut it some more. It's good for my heart. You're just setting me free from mammon. Like you can't beat me. You can't kill me. You can't do anything to me because I'm, I'm eternal. I'm living for the, the fullness of what God's dream is. It's like, fire me. What, what do you think? I care. God's got something better then. While you're firing me, I just want to love you. Like, uh, honestly, I'm so convicted by this in my own heart because I, I'm, not, I'm not there. I'm letting God do this. As I'm believing, He's doing this in my heart. I want this for all of us. I'm not preaching at you. I'm, I'm, this is like the Lord speaking to our hearts. Why do we have a grid for unforgiveness? Like, I'm asking myself this question. I'm going... Why do I actually have a grid for it? <laughs> I have a grid for unforgiveness because I'm selfish. <laughs> but if I let the gospel do its work in me, then I know how much I need forgiveness and mercy that I hold it all lightly. You can't hurt me. If I'm in the fullness of what Jesus has paid for, and oh man, this is, I'm offending myself right now. Like, you can't hurt me. You can't take away what Jesus has given me. And this isn't just a great message that we can, like, this is insane, man. What I'm saying to you right now is crazy. Can you imagine living a life so secure in Jesus that it's like, I am immovable in the one thing. Like, the problem with what we've done is we've preached that message, but then when situation and circumstance happen to us, it's really easy to preach and hard to live. Right? But here's the thing. If we can get to a place and say, I'm no longer after outcomes, I'm not going to measure my life by how well a situation goes. No more. It can all fall apart around me and beside me. The whole thing can go to beep. And the reality is, that was a bleep. The, the reality is it can all go bad around me, and yet Christ in me is still the hope of glory. The joy that I have is still in him, which means it can't be taken away. The peace that I have, it surpasses understanding. It's not based on situational circumstance. It's based on Him. And so the love of God is now causing me to be something very supernatural because I make no sense to the world. It's like you, you should be... You see, ah, oh, okay. I am guilty of this, so... We process stuff. We go, well, you know, wow, like, what you've been through is actually really intense. I, if you look at my life, go, wow, what you've been through, Connor, is really intense. Like, just give yourself some time to just process that. Sure, like grace holds you through the process. But there's also this place going like, okay, but how long am I going to let situation and circumstance rob me? Where am I going to find my confidence? Am I going to find my confidence in that finally the Lord turned the situation around? Or am I going to say, you know what? God, in the midst of this pain, trauma, persecution, situation, circumstance, lack, whatever it is you're facing, in the midst of that, God, shine. Let the love of God be known. And, and, and not only that, let my life be worshipped to you in the midst of this. I don't understand the situation. I don't understand why it's happening this way, God. I don't, I don't understand how you're going to fix it or solve this stuff. But here's the beautiful thing. I'm not living for that. I'm living to exalt you, to glorify you, and to shine. When I lift Jesus up, he draws all men unto himself. I'm just a gatherer, and the way I gather is by exalting Jesus in my life. And so if you want to see 
transformation in your own life, transformation regionally, and transformation globally, it's going to look like a worshiping people. It's going to look like those who take the gospel, let it land on their hearts and go, what it provokes in me is, thank you, Jesus. Worthy is the lamb that was slain, who purchased for himself a people covered by the blood of Jesus. Are you with me? I'm nearly done. I just want to say this tonight. Do you know what stress is? Stress is, is when we're living in the tension of unmade decisions. And I'm thinking about this this week. I'm like, when we, when we don't make decisions, and the reason why we don't make decisions is we're afraid to be wrong. So we live in stress because we're, we need to make a decision, but we're afraid to make the decision because we're not sure what the right decision is to make. And so we live in this cycle, in this tension of stress. And, and it's producing this negative thinking. It's producing strain on the people of God. And I, I was thinking about this this week, and I, the Lord was just showing me that if we took the pressure of right or wrong decision, if we took that off, and we just said, God, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to believe that you'll lead me and guide me, and I'm going to make a decision and know that your righteousness makes the wrong things right. Now, I'm so confident that I'm a son, that even if I step wrongly in this one, that you'll bring me around. It, it changes the way the Christian lives. It's like, I'm, I'm just so confident that I'm held by God and held by grace that I'm so bold. I, I, it's not arrogance. It's, it's confidence in God that like, Lord, I can't do this anyway. The reality is this decision that needs to be made, I don't even know how to make that decision. But here I am. And the beauty is I'm held by you. So I'm making the decision and I'm trusting you that you'll lead me. Because what's the worst that can happen? Oh, I made the wrong decision. Thank you for showing me, Lord. Let's do that one. But you're at least moving. There's so many of us, I really feel the Lord on this, there's so many of us that are stuck because we're afraid to make a decision. We're living in stress because we're afraid of being wrong. But the beauty of the righteousness of Jesus is that he's the only one who's right. So if we'll just yield to him, he makes the wrong things right. Are you with me? Anyway, I get excited about this, and I could go on for a while. Um, I was going to preach out of Romans 4 and 5. That's what I prepared on, but um, <clears throat> the name of the church is 24-7 Church. The reason why the, the church is named 24-7 is not, unfortunately right now, not because the doors are open 24-7. I... I need to sleep. Maybe one day. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, that would be amazing. But the reason why God put that in, in my parents' hearts when they started the church was because there's something about being the church 24-7 when it looks more than a Sunday or a Saturday night. It looks like you worshiping Jesus, loving Jesus, shining, being who God's called you to be. See, something's going to happen as you allow the Holy Spirit to do this in your heart. When you really believe this, when you're faced with the opposite of the heart of God, all you do is shine. All you do is just let Jesus reveal his love. And so this is why you start to have confidence to pray for the sick, to love the unlovely, 
Does this make sense? It's the love of God, it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. Not theological persuasion. It's the love of God, it's the kindness of God. And so I'm, I'm just, my heart is stirred, I'm saying, Jesus, I get excited, really excited about the potential of the church in this hour. These are things that stir my heart and I just go, Lord, I, Acts 19, you did it once. Because I honestly believe what, what we see in Acts 19, it may even be, greater in impact than what we saw in Jerusalem. Just because of, of, of how quickly and rapidly. And I'm going, you know, this is incredible, God, that you could just take, started it with 12 people who, who were baptized but didn't know the Holy Spirit. And Paul asked them a question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? And they say, who's that? We didn't know there was such a thing as a Holy Spirit. And so he preaches the fullness of the gospel to them, baptizes them, and something begins with 12 people. And a, and a man yielded and laid down just saying, Jesus, I'm living for your dream. And within two years, just think about that. Within two years, the whole west coast of modern-day Turkey heard the gospel. All of its inhabitants. The Bible says that. Like if you're at school or university, the potential is this. Through you, everyone in your university and your school can, can encounter and hear the good news of the gospel. Because you're saying yes. And again, please, I, I'm going to hero sandwich this with grace because if you walk out of this room and go like, man, I got to like, I got to read my Bible more. I just got to figure things out because man, that was, that was great. I, I love that he got me fired up and now I just need to know how to do this. What's the plan? What's the strategy? And you start to get all stressed out. We're missing it again. Just wake up tomorrow morning and just go, I'm his. And mercy woke me up today. And, and I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. And today I'm standing before Jesus just as if I've never sinned. That's what your Bible says. It's scandalous. It's wild. It's offensive. Let it offend you. Offense is undealt with conviction. Just let it happen in your heart. And then go, God, when I walk out of this bedroom today, I'm going to shine. And I'm not going to try to shine. I'm just going to be who I am in you. And I have faith and confidence that the more I'm walking in this, the more you're making me like you. Do you get it? Does this make sense? Because I'm not preaching to like to be impressive. I, I, I want us to catch what I'm trying to say. and Not just words, but the heart of what I'm saying tonight. One moment in His presence does more in us and through us than you know, hundreds of hours of study. You know, it's so beautiful. Last thing I'll say is this. When, when the disciples are arrested and and they're being tried, they, they say something so interesting. They say, you know, hey, these, these are like uneducated guys. These, these guys are, but they recognize that they've been with Jesus. Like they're fishermen. They don't have like eloquent speech and they're not trained in how to do all this stuff. But they've been with him. And, and you, can, you can sense it and feel it and, and you recognize it on someone. When they've been with Jesus, you go like, wow. That, that, that's what I'm looking for. The lost around us in the world today, are, they're not looking for your, your eloquent speech. They're not looking for your best theological persuasion. They're, they're looking for Jesus. And you know him. And if you don't know him, you can. Are you with me? So tonight I want to pray for us because 
I really feel that there's an invitation to 24-7. There's an invitation to the church in the city. And what I've said tonight is like, it's so deeply ministering to my heart in that I just want to be so found in Jesus that I'm immovable by anything around me. And, and as we do that f- together, and then we come together and worship, it's something that's going to come externally on the church. I think it's going to come from within us. I really believe that with all my heart. I think the next great move that we're going to see in terms of the demonstration of power on the earth, it's coming from within the church. The church is about to give birth to the fullness of his dream on the earth. Does that make sense? Why don't you stand? I want us to to do something tonight um, as we end. Instead of me just praying over you, I want us to pray together. And we're going to pray over one another. And and the prayer is so simple. The prayer is just, Jesus, we receive the grace of God and we want to shine. Thank you for what you've done. Like, uh, if we can just pray for one another and say, Lord, tonight, encourage us. Let the Holy Spirit inside of every single one of us encourage one another in what God's called us to do. So can we we do that just for, for two minutes? Let's find a group of you, just those that are around you. Let's just pray for one another. Let's be led by the Holy Spirit.